in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable to the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Chad Robinson, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Lizzie Haynes. Lizzie, how are you doing today? I am doing great and excited to talk about some movies. Yeah, it's the new year. We've got our 2023 movies, which means 10 years back. This is our podcast thing. This is how we define retro. Uh, 10 years back, we've got 2013 movies eligible. So I'm excited to get into those. And Lizzie, we have our first time guest. So this is awesome. Love new guests. Joining us today from the Movie Men podcast, Pete how are you tonight, Pete? I'm very, very good. Thank you for having me, both of you. Yeah, wonderful. Pete and his co-host, Brady, they they have an excellent movie podcast. We always try and refer you to other things that we like that uh, are talking about movies. So, Pete, can you tell us a little bit more about Movie Men Podcast, where we can find it, and what your style is? Okay. I mean, it's a kind of a loaded question. It's like kind of writing your own obituary. It's like, how do you summarize something in a few sentences that encapsulates, you know, encompasses everything of a certain subject? But uh, yeah, well, the Movement Podcast, it's a chill, laid back podcast with myself, obviously, Pete and my co-host Brady. Uh, We're Canadian, first and foremost. So we're from Ontario, Canada. And um, we... We have a very odd dynamic. I guess, you know, we're kind of butting heads in a lot of ways. And I'm the kind of the conservative kind of straight-laced guy. Brady's the more liberal kind of avant-garde person. And so a lot of the times our opinion conflicts with each other. But surprisingly, we actually align a lot of the time. So it's this very weird dynamic of opposites, but also having a very lot in common. So it leads to just some very interesting conversations. But uh, I guess to wrap it up, our bread and butter is um, our most kind of known thing is we let the audience choose what movies we review. So uh, a few times a month, we, we have some social media votes where the audience uh, chooses what movies we're reviewing. And it's usually a year by year thing. So we'll go by a year and we'll pick some options. And the audience says, hey, review this movie. And we do. And we uh, have some fun with it. That is awesome. Love the odd couple dynamic and the trust you put in your audience our audience cannot be trusted our our audience will give us leprechaun in space i should i'm sorry i didn't even do the bit we're available on spotify uh apple podcasts anywhere you find podcasts and we're on facebook instagram twitter just search in the and type in the movie men podcast whether it's the social media sites or the podcast listening sites and you will find us um and just look for the movie men podcast that has a black emblem and is says brady and pete review movies awesome awesome thank thank you and russell our dynamic ai chatbot has prepared so we, 
we t- we talked about this. Russell is a real person, but uh, he's prepared some questions for us today. Our warm up questions before we dig into our movie. So Russell's first question. I'll pitch it out to you, Pete. Today's movie, it features a daydreamer. Have you ever had an idea for a cool movie idea while daydreaming yourself? And if so, what was it and who's your star? Hmm. I, to the, to the simple answer is no, I've never done this. But for this intellectual exercise, I tried to come up with something and I feel like it would have to involve the character, the actor, walking away from like in a building and then it explodes and then you know like the actor either puts on sunglasses or takes them off and kind of like is a pan shot or something and you know uh, you got to go with Leonardo DiCaprio I think that's the most fitting uh, character representation actor choice and that's that's the best I could come up with it is a thing cool guys do not look at explosions so (laughs) That is, you are directing it correctly, that he is walking away from it. Lizzie, how about you for this oddly specific question? So I've never daydreamed of a movie, but I have daydreamed my own cast for a book that I read that I wanted to have someone adapt it into a movie at some point. I, uh, I read it in probably late college or early in my career life. It was called The Last Mrs. Parrish. And it was this really juicy novel about this woman who befriends this other woman who is married and her whole idea, she's trying to infiltrate their marriage because they're a very rich, affluent family. And it just has all these really interesting twists and turns. And I thought it would make such a great movie. And I wanted... Oddly enough, this is a true story. I wanted to cast Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively opposite each other. And then probably about three or four years after that, a simple favor came out and I, my mind was completely blown. So I, I, uh, I also even DM'd Reese Witherspoon because she had reached out to her audience and I just so happened to follow her on as many do. And she was saying, what books should I adapt into movies? And I was just like, oh my gosh, you have to do this one. Uh, nothing of course ever came out of it, but oh. it, uh, but that was my daydream of just this perfect cast of these two that we know already work well together. So Reese, if you're listening, you know, you're welcome. Right. And feel free <laughs> whenever your schedule clears up to join us. We'll just... <laughs> Brian is a big fan of Sweet Home Alabama, so we can talk about that one. All right. Nice. All right great. We've got our hosts lined up. <laughs> I, I'm failing this question, too. I don't daydream about movies. I, I'm not that creative, but... I have discussed numerous times casting the Swedish chef in the role of Jason Voorhees. So I don't think a whole lot of people that watch that franchise would notice. But uh, I I kind of want the Swedish chef in a Friday the 13th movie. So <laughs> this, is, this is my daydreaming. Birdie, birdie, birdie. Like from the Muppets? Yes, yes. <laughs> that, that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think that. It's equally terrifying. So, yeah, it sure is. Pete, what's the last movie you saw? And it doesn't have to be one you saw in theaters. Mm, okay. I, I'm going to go a two four for this answer. And it, you'll allow it because I'm also going to kind of plug your show at the same time. There you go. But the last movie I saw 
was, I believe, the last movie I saw was uh, 3,000 Years of Longing with uh, Tilda Swinton and uh, Idris Elba. And, you know, I watched it and it was entertaining. And I thought, you know, that's a, that was a reasonably entertaining film. And the more I thought about it and I listened to other reviews on it and the more I broke down about what was done and how, you know, just cinematically and story-wise, it was a very entertaining and a very well-done film. And I was very pleased with watching it. And I, I definitely want to watch it again just to kind of soak up more things that I missed the first time. So that's that's the last movie I saw. The last podcast I listened to about a movie was actually your group's rev- or, uh, review of Top Gun, 1986 <laughs> Top Gun. Right. And two things I want to say. One, I won't give any spoilers to listeners because they still have to tune into it, but Russell's scorching hot take on the soundtrack. Uh, and yeah. the other the other thing... The the other thing I I've never thought of I've I've seen Top Gun many times I've been a fan of it for almost a decade I don't know who brought it up but someone thought about the concept conceptually not not li- literally but just the concept of if there was ever a prequel having it around background with Maverick and Maverick's father and kind of giving some insight into that and some depth and story narrative into that and that's like as soon as I heard that I'm like yeah. That would be very interesting to watch. That sounds like a Brian Fry idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we uh, don't worry. We straightened Russell out in our end of the year review podcast. That was like three hours and at least two hours is addressing Russell. So, so, so Lizzie, what's the last movie you saw? Well, Chad, I think you and I are in sync on some level because I did a rewatch of a Muppet movie. I did the Muppet Christmas Carol. Nice. It is, hmm. is, we watch it every year. I've watched that since I was a kid. And now that, now that I have three kids of my own, particularly my oldest, my six year old, like absolutely loves the movie. And it is just, it's like the best Christmas movie. I absolutely love it. It is fun. It's heartwarming and it never gets old. We have some major fans of that movie. We did that movie Last year for Christmas, it was myself, Russell, and Dustin who just gushed about it. It was my first time seeing it, so a little of that childhood magic wasn't there, but I I liked the movie a lot. That was one of the most fun podcasts to join, mm. so so that's a nice. great one. Check out our episode on that. That's a good segue. Uh, as for me, so my daughter lo- randomly turned to me. She's six years old, and she goes, I want to be a chef. And a martial arts master. I was like, you know what? Boy, do I have a movie for you. (laughs) So we watched Kung Fu Panda. (laughs) And she, she was blown away that these two seemingly unrelated things could be condensed into one movie and also have a, a lovable Jack Black Panda. So it had a good time. Liked it quite a bit. She uh, she cried for Master Ugwe. We all did, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a good time. She's a tough cookie when it comes to movies. So Kung Fu Panda was a hit. Nice. And what I what I hope will be a hit is our new movie today. This is our first 2013 movie. So Lizzie, do you want to introduce what movie we are doing today? Sure. We are going to do Secret Life of Walter Mitty. 
That's right. It is starring Ben Stiller, Kristen Wiig, Shirley MacLaine, Adam Scott, Katherine Hahn, and Sean Penn. So kind of star-studded cast here. It's released, as I said, in 2013. It has a budget of $90 million. Doesn't do that well domestically. It's gross is about $58 million. It's $188 million worldwide. It's enough to put it in the box office at 60. It places right behind After Earth. And Escape from Planet Earth is number 61. The number one movie that year is The Hunger Games Catching Fire. IMDb rating gives us a 7.3. The Rotten Tomato critics, they're pretty tough on this movie. It's at 52%. Audience likes it a little bit more, 71%. It does win a bunch of awards. The Key Art Awards winner wins for best audio visual technique it wins two or is receives two nominations for satellite awards best cinematography and best original score and the saturn awards is nominated twice for best fantasy film and best actor so pete this was on your short list. Uh, what happens is our guest gives us three movies and we pick one. So I'll start with you. Had you seen The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? If you had, what were you expecting coming back to it? When did you first see it and did you like it? Has it held up for you? Interesting. And I will first say, hot dang, how did 10 years already pass since 2013? Right. Yes. <laughs> oh. But... Uh, <laughs> uh yes i had seen it before uh probably a year probably a couple of years after it came out probably the 2014 range and um i remember really being enthralled by it i just remember some of the visual sequences and audio sequences kind of working together and i and i remembered it being kind of like an escapist film and i i was returning to it kind of curious i was curious if it was as good as i remembered it and i mean 10 years ago isn't an eternity but i feel like i've you know i was a different person back then like we all were and i kind of review films or, or evaluate films differently than i did back then so i was really curious if it held up and i would say it doesn't quite hold up it's not a bad film it's a solid film i think it's more style than substance and i don't think i remembered that part of it and like i said i remembered the soundtrack being really good but not just a good soundtrack the soundtrack being used effectively in different visual sequences and to kind of you know elevate the story at different parts but um i think it was mostly uh mostly more style than substance and you know again that's that's not a bad thing and the last thing i'll say on that you know it's interesting watching an escapist film because that's how I remembered it and that's how I'd still define it as, ne as now. Like you just watch it for the, some cool visuals and uh, some curious s adventures and tales. But it's kind of meta in a way watching a movie about uh, a guy like wanting an escapist adventure while the audience is watching an escapist adventure of their own. It's kind of like, uh, kind of, it's, it's an interesting parallel. And that's that's one thing I noticed this with this view. So it's not a bad film, but it's not as as rich or substantial as I kind of was hoping it would be. Okay, all right. So you had seen this before, Lizzie? Had you seen the Secret Life of Walter Mitty? 
I have not. So this is my very first time watching it. I knew of it when it came out. I remember watching trailers for it in the theaters. And I had a curiosity for it, but this movie, you know, I think we all have those movies, at least I do, where they kind of get filed away. And I'd really like to see that, but I'm not going to prioritize it and therefore it just kind of gets lost, if you will. And that is kind of what happened with this movie. I just shelved it and forgot about it. And so this is kind of one of the main reasons why I love this podcast is it gives me an excuse to really revisit these movies that I wished I had seen. And um, I got to say, I loved it. I thought it was so darling. I, To me, it felt like a hyperbolic coming-of-age tale, but with a grown man. And hmm. I, I just, I really loved it because you're, you know, it's, it's kind of that tale as old as time that's done in so, multiple ways, you know, where you're dealing with someone who's really meek and quiet and shy. And then, you know, by the end of the movie, they're transformed. And that's been done many times. But to be able to get inside of his head and really go along with the journey with him, I thought that to be so much fun. And all of that's happening along with, like you were saying, Pete, just like this beautiful scenery in the background. So is it a movie that I think I'll revisit often? Probably not, but I really had a lot of fun while I was watching it. It was just a great slice of life movie. It does have that heroic arc with personal growth at the end. Yeah, you're right. Uh, as for me, I I had not seen this. I picked it out of Pete's suggestions, mostly because Brian Fry really hates Ben Stiller, and I knew it would annoy <laughs> Brian. So, Why? <laughs> many reasons. We don't have enough time on the podcast. He, he will take like a 30-minute chunk and tell you. So if you ever get bored, Brian will let you know. Remember that. As for my expectations, you know, it's billed as an action comedy. I don't think I would use either of those two words to describe this movie. I think Pete's kind of nailed it. Escapism isn't a genre, but it should be. Like, this is an escapist-type movie. As far as does it hold up, they've got the little Nokia flip phones and whatnot, which is sort of cute and charming. Uh, Little stuff like that. Also, if you're familiar with Iceland strip club policy, strip clubs were banned in Iceland in 2010, so they can't go to a strip club in 2013. That uh, The movie just falls apart because of that. But... <laughs> right, right. But, but as, they're not taking that bike to a strip club in Iceland in 2013. Sorry, boys. Sorry, <laughs> horny Chileans. But yeah, as far as... As far as a life lesson, I think it holds up. Uh, to be honest, here were my options last night. Watch this movie, or my wife was watching the Lindsay Lohan new Netflix Christmas movie, and Lindsay gets engaged to an influencer, gets amnesia, and falls for the struggling small business guy. And that was my choice. Like, watch this movie, or watch... Th- <laughs> at, at, at times, I wasn't so certain, but... The- <laughs> I remember oh, wow. I saw that movie. It was, I mean, Lindsay Lohan understood the assignment, right. but but it's it's very forgettable. Uh, uh, <laughs> of course, you saw that movie. Of course, you did, Lindsay. What else? Was I, well, I mean, I got to keep my ear to the zeitgeist. You know, I got to right. see it. Well, well, in nine years, you can punish us all with that. So. <laughs> 
I wouldn't dare. I'll do something with Ben Stiller in it that I love. There, just to there you go. Brian I mean, just do something about Mary and then just watch poor Brian. Like, <laughs> Russell will love you and Brian will hate you. And this is the dynamic that Pete was talking about. We have polar opposites. We just did our end of 2022 where we had different mm. moments of, you rated this what? You did what? <laughs> Russell really hates Leprechaun and we gave him such a hard time about it. It's such hmm. such a harmless little film. Uh, anyways, so we've got to take a quick ad break. And when we're back, if you haven't seen this movie, Lizzie is going to spoil it for you. So that is our final warning. Going to take an ad break and then we'll be back with our movie. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. And we're back. Final warning before Lizzie spoils this. If you haven't seen Secret Life of Walter Mitty from 2013 or you're unfamiliar, want to rewatch it, put us on pause, check it out. Lizzie, take it away, please. Story opens with Walter Mitty, a negative asset manager working for Life Magazine who is trying to send a wink through eHarmony to his coworker and crush, Cheryl. Upon calling customer service, they fix the issue, but note that Walter's profile is left incomplete with many sections such as the noteworthy section blank. Walter citing that he left it blank because he hasn't done anything worth noting. Walter is meek and quiet with a large imagination and is constantly leaving reality for grandiose daydreams about Cheryl and being a man of action. Walter arrives at his job where he learns that Life Magazine is being acquired and new management will be working on the last issue and then transitioning into Life Online. The last issue will feature photos from the iconic Sean O'Connell with whom the executives love to put on the cover and whom Walter shares a pen pal friendship. Sean sends Walter a slide of his latest photos along with a gift of a wallet and a note stating his appreciation for Walter's attention to detail. He tells Walter to feature slide number 25 as the cover for the final issue, saying it perfectly captures the quintessence of the magazine. One small problem, number 25 is missing. After searching everywhere, Walter discusses the missing negative with Cheryl, who suggests he treats the situation like a game of Clue, using the remaining negatives as clues to locate Sean. Together, they look at three photos, one of a person's thumb with a distinct ring, a curved piece of wood, and a boat. The boat is traced back to Greenland. With the stakes high, Walter Mitty flies to Greenland to find Sean. Once in Greenland, he stumbles into a bar and happens upon the gentleman with the unique ring. He's a pilot with a possible drinking problem who offers to take Mitty onto a boat that will lead to Sean. Walter makes it safely onto the boat, but Sean is nowhere to be found. He's left behind some leftover cake and some notes on a piece of paper. 
Sean is now heading to Iceland to photograph a volcano. Mitty arrives safely in Iceland, but must make a run for it as the volcano is erupting. Upon fleeing, Mitty sees O'Connell in the air towards the disaster, and Walter knows that he cannot follow Sean, and at this point returns home. A lot has changed since arriving home. Most of his colleagues have been laid off due to the acquisition, including Cheryl. And Ted, who is managing the work transition, is eager to see slide number 25. And it's then that Mitty has to come clean. Ted fires Walter on the spot for losing the slide. Defeated, Walter goes home to his mom's house with his sister. And it's there in a moment of discouragement that he throws away the wallet from O'Connell. Before he leaves, he notices the unique curve in his mother's piano and how it matches the curved wood in Sean's picture. He confronts his mom, and she says that Sean had come to visit and that his next stop was in the Himalayas to take a picture of snow leopards. Walter journeys to the Himalayan mountains where he finds Sean. After some small talk, Walter asks where number 25 is, and Sean answers his question with a question, stating that it's in the wallet he gave him. Walter is shocked and ashamed to admit that he threw away the wallet at his mom's house. The two hash it out, but then they quickly make up and soak up the beauty around them and play soccer with the local kids. Walter comes home a changed man, ready to take the next steps into his future. While retelling the story to his mom, he mentions he no longer has the wallet, and it's then that his mom pulls out the wallet, stating that she always keeps his knickknacks. A stunned Walter opens the wallet up to find the missing negative and confidently struts into life headquarters to hand deliver the negative to Ted. Later on, Walter is walking with Cheryl, and they see on the newsstand the last issue of the magazine with a negative 25 featured on the cover, a picture of Walter examining negatives with a nod to the people who built the magazine. Walter and Cheryl continue on their walk and hold hands. Very nice, very nice. Thank you. First things first. This is a remake, and I had no idea it's actually based on a book, and there was a 1947 adaptation with Thurston Hall. It's it's more of an outright comedy than what we have here. It's that 1940s slapstick where this kind of goes mm. for grandiose action. Have either of you seen the original? I have not, no. I Actually, before we started this, I had to go double check of which movie we were covering. I remember looking up Walter Mitty and being like, oh, well, <laughs> would you look at that? There's an older one. Let me go back and make sure that I'm not uh, do my due diligence here. But no, I had no idea. And um, I would have, my, my husband and I were talking about how we were curious if there's the same daydreaming that takes place. Oh, yes. I'd be really curious to see that. <laughs> I mean, it's different. So like, he daydreams and wrecks his car into a curb while and Oof. is driving around his mom and is terrible in traffic all the time or he he's like the captain on a boat and there's a storm and things are happening around him it's less of this urban surfing environment that he has with adam scott uh, ted or mm. you know dives into a burning building while making a uh, device for her three-legged dog. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so Pete, had you seen the original? No, no, I had not seen the original, and I on, I only found out today that there was an original, and that was this was technically a remake. I was aware of a story or a short story, I forget which it is, and I have a funny feeling that I read it, but it's been so long that i don't remember much of it and maybe i was daydreaming when i was reading it i don't know very nice but 
um, but I do remember parts of the short story. So I knew it was based on, you know, a literary tale. Yeah. Yeah. They, this was a very popular tale and they're trying to remake it again. So there's some interest. It seems, hmm. it seems like too quick of a okay. turnaround, but yeah, this is, this is a popular movie. So everyone's trying to get at it or at least a popular story. And we were, the 1940s, by the way, that's it's a fun time. It's a different movie. I did my homework. It's like two versions exist. I must watch it. So, yeah, it's a very, very different version than than what this hmm. is. It's far less style, I will say that. Hmm. Uh, okay. But we did address a little bit. Walter is this daydreaming character. He's walking through life just imagining something far more interesting than what he's got going for him. You know, even though he actually has kind of an interesting life, he had the punk rock dad with the Mohawk style. He was a very talented skater at one point. So maybe he's just dreaming for those glory days, but it's a big part of his character. What did you guys think of that aspect of storytelling that we get daydream sequences? And in addition to that, did you have a favorite daydream sequence of his? Sure. Uh, yeah, you know, as a viewer, you know, as you're not really expecting what's to come, the first times he steps out of his comfort zone, you're automatically assuming that this is another daydream. And then just when the sequence continues or nothing reverts back, you go, oh, like, I, I guess he's taken a step. Like, he's actually doing an adventure now it's not just wishing and hoping and yeah it's it's a it's a very it's a is a audience member it, make, it keeps you guessing at a certain point because sometimes you're just wondering what is actually going to turn out to pan out that to happen and what was just a daydream or at least sometimes but i i absolutely have a favorite uh dream sequence oh hmm yeah, I think I do. I think it's it's probably the earliest one, and you mentioned it already. It's the one where, you know, he jumps into the burning building, and it just catches us so off guard. And then it was ridiculous enough just in principle, but then just the, 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 the prosthetic that he creates for the dog, it just goes over the top, and this just this dream sequence is is uh is, is is comedically comedically over the top and i think just right off the gate i think that's the one that stands out to me the most there were a lot of great ones but that one just it, it caught my attention and it's burned in my memory i'll be honest i'm disappointed the movie didn't continue in that direction i had no idea what we were getting at but when cheryl goes god you're noteworthy it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, I'm I'm down for this. He's some secret hero. This is this is his secret life. He's Superman. No, no, that was uh that was a fantasy. Lizzie, how about you? Did you like the daydreaming sequence and did you have a particular favorite? I did, but I have to be completely honest, I cringed so hard at the idea of what the other person must be experiencing while he was doing it. I mean, he was in Central Park particularly, and, you know, you're there. This is the moment. I'm all for a good daydream, but I think it needs to be done at the safety of your desk mm. where you can mm. computer. You know, he's like, you have such a huge crush on Cheryl, and you're 
blowing it because mm. you're not in the moment with her. And um, so I, I did really love the daydreams. I thought that it was so interesting and playful. And, and like you were saying, Pete, it was fun that as it's happening, there's that split second where you're questioning the reality of it. And then something so outrageous happens that it becomes very obvious that he's daydreaming. I really liked that aspect. It made the movie very fun to watch, but I couldn't stop thinking about just the cringe of <laughs> like the, the Walter Walter. And like, I even, again, I, I said earlier, I watched this movie with my husband. I looked over at him like, can you imagine? Like, this is what other people are seeing. And I just stared off into the abyss. <laughs> couple of minutes, like, That's what people see when they're trying to talk to him. So you, so, you commiserate more with Adam Scott's character of Ted. I, I guess. <laughs> but, um, I, oh my gosh. But so I, I did really like it. I would say my favorite though would probably be when Cheryl starts singing David Bowie to him because mm. I feel like that was, that was a really, I mean, cause the major Tom, that was already kind of a joke. So now at this point we feel like we're in on it and she's singing to him. And then the fantasy very quickly, you know, when he jumps on that helicopter, you even have, I, almost myself had to question like I think this is real but I don't know anymore and so that was kind of a fun experience so it was probably the last probably one of the last big daydreams right I feel like at that mm-hmm. point living he's like rooted in reality after that yeah and and can I just piggyback on one thing because that's a really good observation that that was like the hybrid of dreams right because he referred to it later on when he was kind of making up for you know zoning out at Central Park he said I had this circumstance and he described it where you came to me in a daydream and then propelled me forward to do things. So it's a daydream sequence, but it's also an adventure sequence and it kind of, you know, in, in lifted him and, and propelled him to do something that he needed to do. So it's like a very fun sequence, but it's also like important from his narrative perspective. And it's a very, very fun sequence. Yeah, for sure. That was a very musical scene altogether because we have the drunken karaoke slightly <laughs> earlier. The very, yeah. very, very slow version. And then we get Space Oddity. So, yeah. Uh, and I'm, I am not going in that chopper with that pilot. No. No, absolutely not. No, no Walter had the right answer at first. He's like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not going. No. <laughs> no. The, the daydreaming for me... Uh, it was too frequent. At, at the beginning, it was an average of every three minutes we got a daydream. And I thought as a device, it was used too frequently. And it became to the point like I should have been blown away by that kind of urban fight that he had with Ted. But by then, I think it was at least the third, if not the fourth daydream. And I didn't care. Like, I just knew the entire thing. It's like, there are no stakes. There's no consequences. It almost feel, felt like it was wasting my time. So I, I wanted to care about it and I didn't. But to Pete's point, I, there were points in the movie, he jumps out of the helicopter. I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop caring. There's a shark here. Of course there's a shark here. He's going to fight the shark and we're going to have another ridiculous sequence. And none of that happened. The, it, actually was he jumped out of the helicopter the wrong direction which i don't know how you do that and 
there was an actual shark. It was not a poipus, or however they were pronouncing it. And that became interesting again of, okay, our realities changed. These these wild things are actually happening. And we use the character of Todd to kind of do the reality check later on of, okay, buddy, you 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 had a you escaped a volcanic eruption and you're climbing the Himalayas and you jumped out of a helicopter. You, before it was nothing interesting has happened. Like, yeah. So, I as they got less frequent, I got more interested in them. But I I do agree with Lizzie. This is not a good way to pick up a woman that you're sweet on is to just stare off into the abyss as she's talking. Right. Like, do that after you're married and she's going in for <laughs> what chores you're assigned. Like, that's <laughs> that's sustainable. Just not in the early stages. Don't do that. <laughs> Funny. Well, and I, sorry, I just want to jump. You guys are both making, like, incredible points that I just really want to ride on your coattails here. But you, you make the point that there's not a lot of stakes with these these daydreams. And something I kind of noticed on this second viewing was I felt like the first 30 minutes, there's a lot happening with all these daydreams, but I felt like there was a pacing issue. And it wasn't until he, Ben Stiller, took his first steps to go on his international global journey, you know, with Arcade Fire and that song and that <laughs> sequence. It wasn't until that part that I felt like, okay, this this movie is like a discernible pulse now and like its pace has picked up. And I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, when there's not stakes with these things, maybe it's not the best use of a narrative tool with all these kind of fake, fake things. Visually, it's entertaining and, you know, at times it's comedic, but maybe at a point we just become numb to it at times. Yeah, that was certainly the case for me. I did like, I like a good mystery and that's kind of what we've got going on here is he's missing this negative it did seem interesting that, again with the stakes he cared a lot about this missing negative which means he's good at his job but he it's pretty uncertain whether he'd have a job the next week or not like he's <laughs> i guess he's saying he cares about this magazine and cares about the people and that's the point he makes to ted at the end but i'll, I'll throw this to you pete is the fun of this movie is at the pursuit of Sean, who's very elusive. He's got some fun things where he goes over in a biplane. Or is it watching Walter evolve into this more interesting version of himself? Hmm. That's a really good question. I want to say the pursuit of Sean because he has this almost like the most interesting man in the world. Like <laughs> he doesn't always drink beer, but when he does, it's Dosaki's kind of vibe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's um, got a mystique. Yeah, like even just when they talk on that hillside together, like it's just, it's like you want to listen whenever that guy says something. <laughs> um, but I guess I would have to lean more towards the journey that Ben Stiller goes on. And I've got some, I wouldn't say problems with it, but some missed opportunities with it. And we can maybe get into that later. But I'll, that I think that is more what I wanted to sink my teeth into less although the mystery was fascinating and fun the growth of that character i think was the more rich thing for me okay all right yeah I, the heroic arc is is very interesting especially for just what we get as a blank slate almost with walter he 
The beginning's very monotone with the keystrokes, and we don't have much sound, and it's very gray around him. His apartment's mm. very sterile. So, yeah, as we go on, there's more color and evolution mm. in his life. Yeah. Uh, Lizzie, what, was Sean or Walter more interesting to you? I think Walter, for sure. Now, Pete, I agree with you that I'm... I, I will say I'm a little reluctant. I'm not a humongous Sean Penn fan. So I, going into this, was like, ah, I could probably do without like the Sean O'Connell. But I get why Sean Penn was cast. But man, once you actually hear Sean O'Connell talk, Sean Penn was perfect for this role. <laughs> He's not arrogant in the way that maybe perhaps I thought he would be. He's humble and wise and just very experienced and all still really has he seems very grounded as a person and so i really enjoyed sean penn's uh portrayal of sean o'connell for sure but i think walter's arc is far more interesting you know i i agree chad like you were saying you got a blank slate and you're just i think in the beginning he probably goes on this pursuit because he you know he wants to maybe prove that he has a job worth saving you know he knows that everybody's job is up for for firing and so maybe if he finds number 25 he'll be able to stay and there's probably some additional pride in in that because he he takes you know such his job so seriously but then i think towards the end you know when he speaks with his mom i think that it's more like when he goes back to the Himalayan mountains or goes to the Himalayan mountains, I should say, to find Sean. I think it's less about finding 25 and more now about just completing this task and really seeing this through. And I think he kind of realizes, you know, I know that there's that popular saying of, you know, God's plan for your life is better than the one that you have for yourself. <laughs> and I think Walter kind of starts to realize that life can be more adventurous than his imagination can allow. And I think that towards the end of the movie, he really is realizing that living in reality is way more rewarding than whatever he can concoct in his mind. And I love that arc. Yeah, he starts blending things from his past that were interesting. He puts on the Buzzcock t-shirt at one point from his past. He introduces Cheryl's son to the tricks that can be done on skateboarding and i guess mm. i guess giving someone son a skateboard can uh, it earns you enough points that the weird stairs can be overlooked at least once or twice <laughs> <laughs> for sure for sure seeing the look on your kid's face definitely gives you some brownie points yeah yeah entertain the kids that's can I just say from someone who like went through a brief, brief phase of wanting to be skate a skateboarder when I was younger, that, you know, it's not as easy as it looks to land some of these tricks. So when Ben Stiller landed a kickflip, I'm like, oh, this is absolutely a daydream sequence and he's not that cool. <laughs> and when it was real, I was like, oh, that's so nice. Like Ben Stiller actually is doing this genuine thing and he's, you know, able to kind of share this connection with with this other character on screen. So I thought that was kind of a fun moment. I mean, it's sure. that that wasn't didn't have the carpet ripped out from under it. It's the wedding crasher move. You dance with a flower girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like we we learned this years ago. 
I I was much more interested in Sean. Like Sean O'Connell seemed like such an eccentric. I had mm. to find out more about him and every, the brief shot of him on the biplane going past the volcano. <laughs> right? Like, right? Okay, this guy is the coolest person in the world. <laughs> and it turns out Yeah, it turns out he's he's kind of an eccentric tool a, a little bit. Yeah. But uh, with a good heart, and I I liked his oh too playful, and he's he's realizing he's being too artsy for the everyday person, <laughs> but he still comes off almost childlike. I I really liked his scene with Walter when he's like, "Well, what'd you do with the wallet?" And Walter says, "I chucked it." He's that hurts, and <laughs> you know you. I mean, that- my feelings too. I'm not gonna lie. If I sent somebody, a mm. wall, like, what'd you do with it? Like I threw it away. Like, well, all right, right. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah, this is the person <laughs> you entrust to publish your vision, and there's a lot of this pretentious nature around him. And it turns out he's a really nice guy, who's just mm. strange. He's he's into his craft, but then he'll go play soccer with kids. He's it's like, okay, you need to come play soccer with me. And Ben Stiller's character just Walter stops saying no, and I, I mm. think that's a big part of his journey is he's willing to be open to whatever the moment brings him. So, uh, to mm. to me, there was some growth, but I I had to meet Sean. I had to meet this mystery character. So there's there's other movies that have this eccentric guy that they're always trying to get to. That was the big mystery for me. Pete talked about this movie being style over substance. I think this movie has gorgeous cinematography. Obviously the critics agree uh, without spoiling your best shot. Cause we need something to talk about later. Let's talk about some of your favorite moments in this movie. As far as visual style, uh, Pete, there's a lot to discuss here. So was it, was it jarring for you coming back to this movie? Did you remember you said you remembered some of these shots more than the actual movie itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I won't give away my cards for later because you're right. We gonna we don't want to take food off our plate for later in the episode. But I I think I remembered some of the visual sequences with audio infused in them. I don't think I remembered as much some of the angle choices and the like the panoramic shots of the horizon and. And the bird's eye view of characters walking and, you know, just stylistically placed. And, you know, again, I think 10 years ago, I wasn't looking for things like that. So I didn't really appreciate it. And I like cinematography wise, I thought this film was very, very pleasing to watch. Very interesting way to convey uh, things to occur, whether it be vehicles, whether it be people walking, whether it be, you know, skylines, just visually it was a movie that you had to pay attention to just to soak in all the colors and and, and everything so yeah like a chef's kiss 100 percent on that yeah it's so striking with everything it does and i can't think of many other movies that do what this do i think of scott pilgrim versus the world with some of the the text and use of sound and color and in different spots but it that's really not a fair comparison because one's based on a graphic novel but this one was Mm. just it's very stylized at points uh Mm -hmm. lizzie what were some of your favorite moments i 
I, I, well, first of all, I agree with everything that Pete just said. I, I just, I loved all of the shots up in the mountains to the point where I felt like this is going to sound kind of strange, but the shots were so vivid and so clear that it literally looked at some points like you could just be there and almost as if I could feel that feeling that you get in your throat when you're inhaling cold air and Mm. outside like there were moments where like I almost think like there was like a psychological level where like you just kind of were implanting yourself into the snow as this was happening and kind of putting yourself there to the point where you could almost taste the atmosphere it was just so vibrant and I really I'm with you, Chad. I kind of have a hard time thinking of a movie that can be its parallel that isn't uh, using mass amounts of computer animation in order to, or CGI in order to, to do the job. So it's, I mean, really amazing. Yeah. When I think of style over substance, I think of something like Atomic Blonde, which is a very fun movie, but not too much substance. They essentially do the same thing three times over. Uh, you know, the airport scene for me was a particular standout, but yes. but Pete does mention there are, there are gorgeous shots of just casual things like walking. We did the conversation, which has this beautiful crane shot for its opening shot, and there are a lot all over this movie. So it's it receives nominations and awards, and deservedly so, for a movie that doesn't really do well. It seems like everyone was excited to make this movie. And the the movie itself, it went through development hell. It They were trying to make this movie as early as 1994. And, oh, wow. Yeah. It had so many different people attached, and I'll go through it briefly. So Owen Wilson was originally our Walter. He drops out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I would I I do appreciate the wow. Uh, But he he drops out in 2005. And Scarlett Johansson was our front runner for the female lead. She was attached with Owen Wilson. When he drops out, she drops out. And then 2007 comes around. Mike Myers is our star. And the script is rewritten to the tone of Mike Myers. I I question everything about that. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So Mike Mike Myers drops out. Will Ferrell is considered. I could see where they're going there. In 2010, mm-hmm. Sasha Baron Cohen is offered and accepts the lead. And so he's attached. Patton Oswalt was called in as a script doctor, so he's working on this. In the interim, we are losing directors with this. So Ben Stiller winds up directing it. Literally because they couldn't get anyone else. Steven Spielberg, Ron Howard, Mark Waters all tried to get into this film. And Gore Verbinski gets involved and he winds up dropping out because he wants to continue his work on The Lone Ranger, Army Hammer's version. <laughs> he shouldn't have. That's a, I that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I bet he has some regrets. So finally, our fourth stringer, Ben Ben Stiller is like, you know what? Fine. I will just, I will write and direct this myself. So it gets passed along out of all those names. Owen Wilson, Scarlett Johansson, Mike Myers, Will Ferrell, Sasha Baron Cohen. Do, 
Do you want any of those people in Walter's role? I think so. One of the reasons why I really liked Ben Stiller in this role is that he was able to, even though he's a type of blank slate character and he's meek and he's quiet, he still has this kind of this charm to him that's almost childlike. And I I find that charming with him because it makes him really likable. You know, I think if you're talking about somebody that just zones out and goes out into the abyss, I think they have to have a childlike charm. Otherwise, they're going to come off creepy. And so I think Ben Stiller does a really good job of that, which, you know, hats off to him because he he's been so many different roles. So for him to kind of take on more of a serious role, I loved. But the way that I described it was kind of very Buddy the Elf. So I actually think that Will Ferrell probably could have done a really good job because I don't think anybody does that childlike innocence quite like he does. Yeah, I think you're right there. Pete, do you want Mike Myers in this role? Not even a little. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to my, I have to look it up. I believe he's Canadian, is he not? So yes. it's a little, mm-hmm. uh, a little hypocritical that I'm giving him the veto there. But um, no, there, none of those names you mentioned, at least for Walter, I'm remotely interested in. I think Ben Stiller, although I don't think he's perfect in this, I... I really, really, really buy everything he lays down in his subdued version of the character where he's, you know, the in the cubicle and daydreaming. When he's a little more flamboyant and adventurous, I don't know if I buy it as much from Ben Stiller, but his his strengths in this role, I, I outweigh anything of the characters you just mentioned. I don't see it. I see the scar, Joe, is the, is the opposite to him. I can see that. Really? But... Um, by no means do I need ScarJo as a replacement. I was happy with, with the character uh, casting choices they made. See, I I think Scarlett Johansson would stick out like a sore thumb. Like, I, I'm not going to buy... Oh, okay. Buy, I agree Yeah. It, hmm. it feels like I'm going to backhanded compliment Kristen Wiig, who I do think is pretty, but there's, there's a difference between a Scarlett Johansson and a Kristen Wiig. And, you know, Kristen Wiig, I, I buy in this role of just this average uh businesswoman i did feel bad for Mm. katherine hahn i like she's present and that's the best i can say for her i love her so much i I think you know i i am a little reluctant to say this because i like a lot of movies that scarlett johansson is in but i think as an actress she's not very layered like i don't think she really would have been able to do Mm. uh the charm quite like Kristen wick because you're right, Chuck. Hmm. She kind of plays this this girl next door, single mom, really sweet. You know, she likes Walter kind of in spite of his strangeness. She thinks it's, you know, kind of charming. And I, I just, I think, I don't think Scarlett would be able to play that. I think that I, I, I feel like such an anti-feminist, but I just, I think she's, she's kind of only has like one version that she plays of herself. And I just don't think that that fits into that particular role. I mean, when you're extremely attractive, it's a great card to be able to play. Of she, <laughs> she does, she does the extremely attractive seductress role very, very well. Well, yes, very well, but kind of somewhat dorky, you know, just average girl next door. I don't, I don't think that that. I think that'd be a stretch for her. Yeah, we're not buying it. Mm. Eh. 
And our, our producer here is uh, it's Samuel Goldwyn Jr., John Goldwyn, Stuart Cornfield, and, and Ben Stiller as well. As I mentioned, this is based on The Secret Life of Walter Mitty by James Thurber, and the screenplay was done by Steve Conrad. I will mention, we almost never mention the cinematographer, but Stuart Dryberg is our cin- cinematographer. He just does an outstanding job. Ben Stiller's other works... He does a short film in 1989 for Elvis Stories. He does Reality Bites in 94. I didn't know he was the director of The Cable Guy in 96. Everything else afterwards makes sense. 2001 is Zoolander. 2008 is Tropic Thunder. And then 2016 is Zoolander 2. So maybe maybe don't direct that one, but... uh, (laughs) You know, ben, ben does step into this role from time to time. It seems like few and far between, but just passion projects of his. And I, I can't comment on any of the really early ones. Like, I haven't even seen The Cable Guy. I'm just aware of its pop culture hate or people not appreciating it. Appreciating it's it. very dark. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, it's just interesting to see what an outlier The Secret Life of Walter Mitty is, because... Again, like you said, is it an action? Is it a comedy? Is it neither? Is it just escapism? Whatever you want to classify it as, it's very different than most of those, all of those on the uh, on those uh, list of films. So it's just very, very different. Yeah, that is a question. What genre are you putting this in? Oh, I think. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to piggyback on a couple things you said. The one, because you referenced Scott Pilgrim, and I appreciate that again because it's said in Ontario, Canada, so I have to mention <laughs> that you said that. Uh, I don't particularly like that movie, but I still have to mention it. I'm I'm thinking of movies like, say, Scott Pilgrim, or actually maybe a better comparison would be Yes Man. This movie reminds me a lot of Yes Man. It's just, it's excellent. I would say that's prime Jim Carrey and... Um, that that might be a hot take there's there's other good jim carrey movies but i think he's at his at his element in that film and the where i'm going with this roundabout thing with yes man is it's very similar to walter mitty as far as this character growth that we see someone go on and also the idea of just taking risks and maybe taking calculated risks maybe just exploring new things but kind of like we were talking about it, and not I, I'm piggybacking on what you guys are mentioning, just at the beginning, you know, unlike Yes Man that I would say is a comedy, or unlike other movies where characters have growths, but they're more action films, this is mostly an escapist film. Like, I, that again, if that's not a genre, that's still how I would classify this. I will ride on your coattails because I'm in full agreement. I think that's how I'd define it. It has a lot of similar threads to other films, like I just said, Yes Man, but it's so different because it doesn't really fall into those those same tropes or those same characteristic characteristic characteristics. So I think it's its own category or a separate category from those. Yeah, it's it's strange to see Ben Stiller. He's not really the funny one here. Like he's not Dwight from Dodgeball or Derek Zoolander. Mm. People are being funny around him, like the the strong men, the Sherpas that are hitting him with the tree branches over and over as right. as the mountain blessing like his facial expression but that's he doesn't really have funny lines for the most part it's other people being funny around him Lizzie are you are you marking this down as a comedy I don't think so I really don't 
I mean, this movie has a couple of laughs, but it's really not intended for that. I would say if I absolutely had to pick an existing category, because I, I agree that escape, escapism sounds perfect, but if I had to, you know, if you're scrolling on Netflix and you got to look in kind of your, your core categories, I would put this under a, like an adventure movie. I think that, um, you know, I would put this right next to, you know, Chronicles of Narnia. You know, you're not walking hmm. into a new world and you're not meeting Mr. Tomness and the White Witch and all of them, but you are kind of venturing first, you know, you have the adventure of his imagination and then you have just the, the scenery in and of itself. So I think to me, the whole movie is really just about joining Walter on his adventure. So I think that's, that's gotta be the closest that I can really get to it is, is an adventure movie. Okay. I, for me, I have this hang up whenever someone says comedy in a movie like this, and my frequent go-to, my punching bag, is the movie Sideways. I will point out, if a movie has one or two funny lines, that it does not make it a comedy. And so okay. I, I'm always resentful of that classification. And Russell warned me. He's like, hey, this isn't actually a comedy, and it's not really an action movie. It's like, then why? Why is this a thing? <laughs> so I would just, I would straight up throw it into the drama box. I Mm. I can see the action adventure, but the word action is involved. And most of this is just traveling to Greenland, which they weren't even at. They This was filmed in Iceland, poor Greenland. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think I'm going full, not as a punishment, but you go in the drama box. Because a few funny lines, things that are happening here, they're a little strange. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not giving you comedy. No matter what, I think we're all in agreement. Like, comedy is right out. You, right. We will create an escapism, mm -hmm. and yeah. and that will be our new genre. <laughs> so, uh, and it will be prosperous. Yes. Yeah. We can we can put several movies in here. I mean, Scott Pilgrim could go in there. It's, it's a novel adaptation, but it is escapism too. He's got a lot of things going on there. Uh, this this movie is. As we've talked about, it is set in the 2013s. Uh, I did mention they actually did go to Iceland. The natives there were super happy to have anyone filming there. So there is no Papa John's in Iceland. This is a sad fact. It, <laughs> oh, no. It's actually a bakery that they converted, but they they were painting <laughs> buildings. They were, they were basically going all out and doing the work for... Uh, the, wow. the production crew just to be involved they agreed to play it low-key i did think it, it was interesting the line of there are like eight people in greenland the attention to detail you actually only see eight unique people so oh no way so good on them good on them yeah i went back and was like there's no way that's true but yeah so they're they were very willing very very eager and they win a uh, winner of location managers guild awards very prestigious for outstanding location feature film so hmm. go to iceland to win awards i suppose also wins an award for costume designers guild awards for excellence in contemporary film and i this one I don't know about. Did the costumes stand out to you other than the, the Benjamin Button scene, which got called up? I, <laughs> there's some clear makeup going on there, which 
I I don't know now being removed as far from that movie if that holds up is funny, but mm. did did the costuming strike you guys as award worthy? Not whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> pretty ordinary fare. I agree. I don't think there was anything really special about it. I had to really sit and think about for my superlative what my favorite. <laughs> aspect of the wardrobe or costume was that was probably the hardest one for me to think of um but yeah I, I i don't know i don't think that there was really anything very noteworthy about it so that's interesting that that won that award yeah i mean maybe they just won for odessa's pink pants in the very beginning like when she's <laughs> she's first meeting walter I'm thinking that is a loud outfit that's about 20 years dated but <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we we do have some special effects for this type of movie. Uh, got a got some stunts with the jumping into the building to save Cheryl's dog, jumping out of helicopters. They actually did get a professional skater to do the tricks. Uh, who Rodney Mullen is the skateboarder, and hmm. he is a world champion in freestyle. So he helped Ben Stiller out. Ben Stiller's not doing the kickflip, sadly. It's a uh, <laughs> It's actually a professional, but it was cool that he was brought in. And Pete has mentioned quite a bit the soundtrack. This was this was big for Arcade Fire. The song Wake mm. Wake Up is what's played when he goes to Greenland. And we get an Icelandic band of monsters and men. They're featured in the trailer yes. as well. So yes. I did not know they were Icelandic. That that makes me kind of happy that we incorporated mm-hmm. in this movie. So lighting and soundtrack in this movie, I feel like they can't really be separated. There's just so much going on. Did you guys enjoy the score? Pete, we'll start with you. Ooh, I'm going to sidestep your question. Well, I'll just give it a brief. The score was fine. It was adequate. I, I don't think it was great because I don't remember it. I don't think it was bad because I don't remember it being bad. For me, it was the soundtrack that was that was great. Um, the score itself was was fine; it did its job. But man, like just specifically, you mentioned it—the wake up sequence that you know triggered our character to kind of take his first adventure, and we see him in the airport with the life uh, motto snippeted throughout different sh- shots and sequences. That just whole sequence, just I love it. It's just so visceral, and it's so just encapsulate like it's just it, it it it's fun to watch and the other is just david bowie's space oddity both both from a character progression where he goes from daydreaming to then actually doing something so it's that transitional thing but just visually and the music playing it's just such a fun scene to watch with the slow motion and again the cinematography that's involved and just both those sequences Everything you you've got the right ingredients. You've set the oven to the correct temperature. You've you've not burnt it. You've not undercooked it. They are just they 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 are fun to watch and they add and propel the story. And and so I, I would say the soundtrack is excellent. The score is adequate. I don't remember much about the score, but that that is what I would say in a long winded answer. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. I mean, they they do use music as the crescendos of several different scenes mm, as you mentioned yep. with Arcade Fire and also with Dave, David Bowie. Uh, Lizzie, did this work for you, the sound and the score? 
I think that Pete, you said everything perfectly. I think it was like absolutely spot on. I loved how major Tom, how space oddity was a tool for Ted to pick on Walter. And so it started off as something that he had an insecurity about. And then Hmm. it was, you know, that song in and of itself had an arc throughout the first half of the movie, you know, where he, he now is kind of cowering at the idea of being called major Tom. And then, um, and then Cheryl, you know, it's like, no, no, no. Like she's, he's got that all wrong. You know, Mm. that song is a great song. It's about going into the unknown. And then like you were saying, Pete, then that, so it starts off as something that he's insecure about. And then he's able to take that. And then that song almost becomes his, you know, it becomes like the superpower song, if you will, to help him really get Hmm. need to go. And by the end of the movie, he almost wears major Tom as a badge of honor. So it's, uh, it's a, it's really neat how they were able to weave the soundtrack so much into the narrative of the movie. It was so good. Yeah, and Kristen Wiig is actually singing there. She has a surprisingly good singing voice, but it is not her playing. No way. So, mm, okay. She, okay. she had guitar lessons, so she looks realistic in her strumming, but it's somebody <laughs> else, sadly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, super talented, super funny, so... It, I guess it's not surprising. Most of those people wind up being able to sing too, but mm. I enjoyed it. I was like, okay, all right, yeah, you can you can sing now. <laughs> I I wish there were more of this, and I I do like using that song as both an insult and then the push. Mm. So Lizzie, yeah, you you nailed that, and I'll just add with this sound. I think I appreciated the absence of it as well. They knew when to turn it all down or turn it off. The hmm. the opening scene, my goodness, I felt the embarrassment and the tension when he's trying to get up the courage to send that wink to Cheryl. And <laughs> there's there's like nothing going on in the background. And he's just going back and forth. And then he finally, you get that click. You get the zoom in shots of his finger on the on the mouse or the the buttons, and finally he clicks it, and we get an error message. And I just felt that in my soul, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I know how that goes. So so even even with the absence of sound, I I was enjoying it, but I like how it's using the soundtrack to just give us those, these powerful moments. So you both nailed it. It was an enjoyable soundtrack for me. Uh, enjoyable moments, though. Are we ready to hand out some of our favorites, our movie superlatives? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right, Pete, we're going to start with you for our MVP. can be a director, actor, something else. Who's your MVP of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? I, you know, I, this was just kind of something I had to do. I was trying to think who I would give it to and no one stood out to me. So I think I would just say Ben Stiller in his subdued role, like when he was bland, when he was, you know, white bread, when he was sitting in a cubicle, because that's where I really felt the character come alive as I like as 
paradoxical as that is, when he was a bit more vibrant, there was nothing wrong with it, but I didn't really feel, it, you know, it, it was as good. So I guess I would say Ben Stiller if I had to hand one out. Yeah, I mean, he is the one that carries this to fruition, so he's responsible for <laughs> acting and directing. That's a big, big challenge. Lizzie, how about you? I put Ben Stiller as well for both acting and directing. I think, I think he did. Uh, as I said before, he's got this charming innocence to him that I think that's the only way that you can play Walter Mitty. Because as Pete was saying in the beginning, when he's you know this, I like the way you put it. He's the white bread in the cubicle is perfect, and mm-hmm. like that. Um, but if you're not, if you don't have this lightheartedness to you then you're going to come off unsettling and so I think he was able to really do that so well and so I tip of the hat to him for that but then also for directing because I mean he we've got to give him kudos for just these beautiful amazing shots that he was able to get and so those things married together just made for a great experience well said Mm. and I we're talking about beautiful shots I went with Stuart Dryberg. He is our cinematographer. I think without him, mm. I just think this movie is forgettable. Like it's good call. It's fine, but without those bright, unique moments, I don't think this film has the staying power that you would expect. So, mm. go, going with us, yep. going with the cinematographer, our best supporting actor. Who've we got, Pete? Uh, yeah, I'd probably go Kirsten Wig, and you know I'll tie that into the recast one as well. I made a comment about uh, ScarJo if she had been in it, I would have been okay with it. But I think you convinced me otherwise. You know, I think Kirsten Wig was a more spot-on casting for this for that role specifically, and as it blended to the whole storytelling. So I think best supporting actor would be her for me. Yeah, she was great. So, Lizzie, who did you have? picked adam scott i i I love him so much i i was telling my husband because we i didn't watch severance but aaron did and he absolutely loved it but i have seen i mean i love all of his movies and i love how he is able to play the absolute perfect jerk i mean it is just it's the sarcasm and I mean him in like stepbrothers and um, oh yeah even in the the role of um, friends with kids he was in a, a movie friends with kids where he played a little bit more of a serious role but even still that sarcasm is just kind of woven into his DNA and he I have to imagine that he is actually a very nice guy in real life because it's got to be the same concept as my dad and I have this theory that in movies when you have people that are horrible singers that they're probably actually they're good singers in real life because I think you actually have to be a fairly good singer in order to know how to make your voice sound so terrible and mm. I think that probably applies to Adam Scott where I imagine in order to play such a jerk you have to be on some level a nice guy <laughs> I, I love him so he, he was best supporting for me he's like jack gleason who played king joffrey like jack gleason by all accounts is a normal adjusted very nice kid who plays the worst person imaginable and they both have very punchable faces like, <laughs> yes. like 
there's just something about it. It's like, I don't like you from just looking at you, and that is wrong, but, you know. But he totally leans in. You can tell he just completely has, he, he understands the assignment. He just, he really does. He hits it on the head. Oh, yeah. I mean, whatever's going on, I couldn't figure out, because he has a beard. He usually has a beard, but in this movie, he's doing something different with it that makes it look worse. And I don't know, it, costume and makeup, maybe, of how they've made his beard look so obnoxious. But yeah, I, I went, we haven't talked about him very much, but Patton Oswald is Tom or Todd. He's, uh, mm. he's the bright spot in this film for me. He's Patton Oswald just, he's, he's like a puppy in everything. He, he really is. He's just. <laughs> So excited to see everyone and so happy and he brings such joy and energy. I I love Patton Oswald and everything he does, even even his voice acting with Rumi. So yeah. When we actually got to meet Patton Oswald, like Yeah, I'm I'm happy. And and he helped fix the script. So he got this out of development hell. Good job, Patton Oswald. Hidden Jim, Pete, who do we have? Ooh. Can I go off the board? And I'm going to go element here, not a cast member per se. Oh, please do. And, you know, we touched on this at the beginning. We laid an example. We also laid how, how the heck is this 10 years old? But just the, the, the ending sequence. I don't know if Ben Stiller, I forget if he was like, I don't think it was an internet cafe because it wasn't that old. But just the idea that like instead of receiving a Snapchat or like an Instagram reel about this new skateboard being used it's like an email with the video at the bottom and mm -hmm. i i just thought like hey this is already like what the world has changed so much in 10 years and it'll change even more in 10 more years but i, I got a little kick out of that oh yeah that's a good point it would be yeah tiktok video or something now yes yeah exactly All right lizzie how about you so this is where i put Patton Oswald. I'm just hmm. Chad. I absolutely love him, and I was thrilled to actually see his face. But I, you know, of course, we don't see him until towards the end of the movie. So I loved that you hear his voice almost immediately. He has such a distinct voice. Yeah. So good that they got him on the phone immediately. I was like, that's Patton Oswald, and I, hmm. I love how that's almost a secondary plot of the movie is as mm. happening with Walter Mitty's life. You also have, it, it almost is like Walter's conversations with Todd is narrating the movie, if you will, almost yeah. starts not having anything noteworthy. And then he's like, Oh, sorry, I got to go. I got to catch a volcano. You know, on the <laughs> so it's really a cute to watch, watch that arc of the, of the two of them. So for sure, Pat Oswald for me. That's an interesting point. Like narrating is a good way to put it. Because even when Ben Stiller's on his bike describing what he's doing, as myself as an audience member, I'm going, oh, yeah, like this is wild. Like you've tiptoed and done crazier and crazier things to where I've become kind of uh, oblivious to how wild what you're doing is would sound if you were just to tell someone. So it is a fun, fun thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like Lizzie as soon as his voice came on. Like, yes, it's Patton Oswald. 
and and then the joy of seeing him later. For my hidden gem, I went with Tara Strong. She's actually one of the airport passengers, and it's so cool to see her actually in films. She's one of the most prolific voice actors out there. She's done everything you could possibly think of. So she's she's been the voice of Harley Quinn for a while, but she'll do... They actually had three Teen Titans in this movie that were in various places throughout. So that's that's fun if you like the show. My daughter's gotten into that. But yeah, Tara Strong is my hidden gem. Mm. Recast. Pete, are you changing your recast? Is is that what's I, happening? Or are you sticking with Scarlet? Yeah, I think I'm just going to omit and say no recast for me just because I had no problems with the cast. And, you know, I can't... Everyone we talked about, nothing triggered to me is going, you know what? Yeah, Owen Wilson, 100%. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I think I will pass on this one. Okay. All right. Lizzie, who's your recast? Okay, guys. So I absolutely promise you that I wrote this before <laughs> coming into this recording, just because it's too serendipitous for you to actually believe me. But I put Owen Wilson. Nice. No way. Because I nice. wanted to be recast as Cheryl's husband. I thought that would have been a really funny wing oh. because I now when you mentioned Chad Owen Wilson as Walter Mitty I immediately was like absolutely not he does not <laughs> have the he has he has his own kind of nerdy charm I suppose but not in the way that I think would read as as this quiet kind of I'm going to again use Pete's phrase of that you know white bread type of person I just don't see that for him I think that he's a little bit too comedic I I just cannot see him in a role that's more on the serious side but um but I would have loved because you know you think of Ben Stiller you you know his right hand man it's Owen Wilson so I think that would have been really funny to see like the Starsky and Hutch and uh, kind of reunion together and the Zoolander and you know they've done so many movies together so I think that would have been super funny for him to knock on the door expecting to see Cheryl and then Owen Wilson opens the door. I thought that would have been funny. Yeah, he could have been the ref- the refrigerator repairman. That would have been a good role for him. Yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> good call. To me, I, I'm going after Ben Stiller, and I don't think it's his fault, but does this not seem like a Steve Carell role? Okay. That's a yeah. good I feel like Steve yeah. Carell has played this type of character before of... Slightly awkward, has a weird quirk, mm-hmm. blank slate, eventually evolves to get the girl. It's... Uh, yeah. And he's been in these billings that are comedy, but they're not comedy. So he's... I, I feel like he's more the king of this. So I I like Ben Stiller being a little funnier. I will put Steve Carell in this role. Um, and I did talk about... It's not Catherine Hahn's fault. Cast anyone else just so she's not wasted. Like <laughs> <laughs> We love her. Every time she comes up on screen in any movie, Aaron and I just I mean, she makes us howl. So I agree. She she was a little underused in, in this movie. Yeah, this had to be one of her earlier roles. Uh, best shot, and there are so many. Pete, I'm excited to see what did you pick? Oh man, best shot. I think. Okay, I'm gonna. I've got two in mind, and I'll save 
my next one for the best scene. I think just some of the uh, longboarding scenes when he's in in. Uh, well, okay. Are we saying Greenland or Iceland? Like, depending on where it's filmed versus where it was right. supposed to be Green, set. But regardless, fine. in that whole yeah, in that whole sequence, the volcano scene, just uh, you get some beautiful visuals, like you do in throughout the whole film. But that's what sticks out to me: those just that that those shots, those cinematic moments, visually. They had to get someone that was native to be able to say that volcano's name like six or seven oh. times. Just. Yeah, right off the. T- I was looking at that. I'm like, nope, consonants do not go in that order. <laughs> there, there are F's, there are J's, there are L's, but there's no vowels. So, <laughs> Lizzie, what's your best shot? I put the longboarding. I think that just the how Walter going down the mountain, and then the thrill of just knowing how dangerous what he is is doing kind of juxtaposed with the scenery around him like you can just envision the rush that he must have been getting but just the view of Walter being so small and then the mountains in the background just kind of juxtaposed together is was really really beautiful and that's something that thinking about this movie my mind will immediately go to probably is that that longboarding scene yeah Hmm. I mean there are so many really beautiful shots and i think it's very nice because this film centers around the perfect shot the quintessence of life so you know to to belabor the metaphor i guess they uh they made sure to get all these beautiful shots for for me it's really just a quick shot but i thought it was so unique there's an overhead shot of Walter running through the park to get to his office building. And it's framed so well, and the shot is so clean. And just little things like this, they don't they don't have to do that. And it impresses me every time that they spend the money to do these crane shots and to clear the scenery and just get this clean, singular person running in uh, to his office, and then it cuts back to a normal office entry. So little things like that impressed me. Best scene, Pete? Yeah, I'm going with the arcade fire, leaving the office, going to the airport, going on the plane, going to Greenland slash, you know, Iceland, depending on what we're defining that is here. Th- that scene for me is the standout, the walkaway. You know, if you could, if I could only show someone one scene from that movie, that's it. Just entertaining to watch visually just a lot going on very visceral very you know uh makes you feel excited for where this character is going and just like i said all the ingredients work together it's it's a well well made scene yeah i i think you're dead right on that if you have one scene that's a wonderful scene to show anyone lizzie what's your best scene all right, so I actually think that my favorite scene is when he and Sean are playing soccer with the locals. Oh. Uh, I think because not only is the shot really, or the scene itself really beautiful, but I I think that's really the first time that you see joy on Walter's face. And I think that I'm, I'm not a therapist, but if I was, that scene would, I would identify that as the breakthrough, if you will. Hmm. It's like, okay, the journey is complete, but that's not really what's important. It's like, I think he's finally 
allowing himself to just live in reality and be rooted. And, you know, Sean had just proved to him they had gone, you know, traveled all this way to take pictures of snow leopards. But then in the end, he doesn't even end up taking the shot because Sean just wants to appreciate the moment for what it is. And I think that is a valuable lesson that Walter takes with him. And then, you know, they live in the moment, you know, playing with these locals. And I just, I love the look on Walter's face because he's so serious and earnest throughout the entire movie. And then that scene is really the first time that you see him experience joy in real life. And then from that moment on, he's a totally changed man. And so I, I really liked that scene. I like hmm. I like that you pick a small scene like that. That's fun. Uh, I went with Todd bailing Walter out. You know, I'm I'm just so glad we got to meet Todd. I like the realization of, oh, wait, I do know someone in Los Angeles. And then they escalate it with Cinnabons. So, yes. I, <laughs> yes, it made me want cinnamon roll. Right. Oh, yes. I, icing on the cake, quite literally. Mm. So like kudos to Cheryl singing Space Oddity. Also an awesome scene. <laughs> Best wardrobe or makeup moment, Pete? You know, with a film like this, I don't know what to choose. I, I think I might just jokingly say Ben Stiller's beard with snow on it in his daydream sequence when he was like a mountain climber going up to his romantic interest. But... <laughs> Nothing nothing really stands out to me for best wardrobe or makeup moment in this. Okay. All right. That's fair. Lizzie, what about you? So I went with Walter's jacket. He wears this pale blue, almost light grayish jacket. Mm. And during that time, during that year, my, my husband has one. Though not, not that exact kind, but same style and color palette. It, that was a very common jacket at that time, just like this hmm. winter breaker like material kind of jacket and underneath the jacket in the first half of the movie Walter is wearing more or less the exact same outfit every day I think the only difference is that one day he's wearing a tie clip and then the next day he's not it's like a very uh playing blue black shirt with his tie so he's very buttoned up very simple and but towards the end of the movie, he's wearing still that exact same jacket. When he goes to strut into the office to deliver the negative, he wears that exact same jacket. But then underneath it, he wears his T-shirt. Mm. And I thought the jacket was cool because it was kind of trying to signify that the jacket is kind of, you know, Walter as a person. And then what he decides to wear underneath it is like him at his core, I suppose. And, you know, maybe I'm thinking a little bit more too into it, but I thought that was really neat that you watch his clothes change with his character arc, but that that jacket still stayed the same. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. I like that. That's interesting. I, I too went with one of Walter's wardrobe choices and I mentioned it earlier, but it's his buzzcock shirt that he brings out. And it's just this throwback to Walter's dad trying to get him into punk rock. And I kind of like him assuming that more colorful identity of, okay, I'm going to acknowledge, hey, I had a mohawk. Hey, I, I used to be a good skater. I'm going to bring this part of my life back into focus. So for me, that was the Buzzcock t-shirt. Hmm. Change one thing and only one thing, Pete. Who? 
Uh, you know what? You, I might get cut off this phone call, but I picked three things, and I'll rip through them so quick you won't even have time to complain. <laughs> so the first is just in a nutshell. I felt like sometimes some of the peripheral characters are a little too one-dimensional, so I would maybe alter that just a touch. You know, you've got um, Adam Scott, for example. You know, just too much of a uh, jerk. Maybe just, you know, scale that down a little bit. Uh, the second thing, I would have had a bit more substance and not just style and so how i would have gone about that as i think i would have had a bit more of an emotional journey with the romantic relationship i think what turned me off is how they did the cliche ex-boyfriend is mistaken for a current boyfriend and for me that kind of stagnated their journey together at that point in time i would have just fo done away with that cliche and had more conversations and backstories kind of similar and also building to you know the papa john's conversation of you know my dad died on a tuesday and i remember this and i had to quit my job and help support my family and you know like i want to see more milestones of them together kind of having emotional connections so that when they hold hands at the end of the movie I was kind of scratching my head going, yeah, I get they're interested in each other, but I want to see them at a maybe a heightened emotional level, and I feel like they could have done that. And the third and the last thing um, related to adding more balance, I think there were just some things where I thought there were some opportunities where, you know, pick a couple things and do them well and wrap them up and, and finish them at the end. So when, you know, you have Ben Stiller, uh, with his family dynamics and you know I'll, I'll say for specifically or as an example with his sister you know I felt like she was a little bit manipulative took advantage of him or kind of overlooked him at times have something where he kind of you know is able to resolve that or just as a bigger picture like an aha moment of Ben realizing hey you know my mom just told me that like she gave me the information I needed but I zoned out and maybe I need to look out and you know say you know, I need to approach life in enjoying the, the the dull moments and not just wishing for adventures and taking that balance of taking risks, but also not overlooking the small moments. So I feel like with those things, I felt like there were some real opportunities to make it style and substance. And again, the movie's not bad because they didn't do those things, but I felt they missed an opportunity because they didn't do those things. So that's what I would change. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that that's all earning different payoffs throughout the movie, uh, either the sister mm. resolution or or the love interest. I, I definitely get it. Lizzie, what are you changing? I really just wanted them to show the other side of Walter's daydreams. I know that they, <laughs> they do at the very end, you know, of, of each, you know, with Ted kind of flicking his forehead, you know, like, ground control to major tom and then you know at the very end there's cheryl in central park she's like walter where do you go and you know but i i would have loved to see the the kind of mid-range where like she's actually actively trying to get in touch with walter 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 like this kind of like very uncomfortable i would have probably liked to see that i think that would have given a little bit more comedy to it perhaps um but mainly just for my own enjoyment because i gotta say i mean my cringe was through the roof during those scenes because i was just imagining what that must feel like for Kristen wig and for his boss so i i would have appreciated a good laugh to see those Right, so the 1940s version is for you because the, you do see the the other yeah. characters reacting in in danger actually because of his daydreaming. 
for me, the Benjamin Button scene, I just thought it was really stupid. And it it kept me thinking, like, what tone is this movie trying to go for? Like, mm, interesting, yeah. It was, it was too extreme. And it had been... Anyway. Yeah, that's true. It had been parodied to death. I don't know at that point if it had or not, but I just feel like I've seen too many of it. But, yeah, I, I just felt like it was totally confused. They could have done something else interesting, and they chose that. So, you know, do something do something different. Do something sweeter that's going to make me think that their love is going to last. Uh, kind of, to Pete's point, earn it. Best quote, Pete. Oh, this is without it. This is the easiest thing that I was able to prepare for the show. I knew it as soon as I heard it. As Ben Stiller said, you know who looks good in a beard? Dumbledore, not you. <laughs> I wish that were a real thing. I wish. <laughs> Lizzie, who, what's your best quote? I got, got a good laugh out of, don't cheat on your lady, man, when you live in a country with only eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting that line at all, and it caught me off guard and gave me a great laugh at the right time. That is solid advice, and not just yeah. for people that live in a country with eight. <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> no matter where you live, metropolitan or not, we don't recommend cheating here on the podcast, no. but it was a funny line. With mine, it, it sounds a bit pretentious, but I really like the quote from Sean of beautiful things don't ask for attention. I think that... I like hmm. Mm. Like, Very good. like that can be misapplied, but I, I do like his just appreciation of the snow leopard and just the beauty of the moment. So that was a really cool line from a cool guy. Uh, Pete, it's been a blast. Before we get our ratings and recommendations, do you want to plug your Movie Men podcast one last time? Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. And uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just look up the Movie Men podcast. And we are everywhere you can listen to podcasts. Face, or, uh, well, not Facebook. Uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Everywhere you find a podcast, you can find us. Just again, type the Movie Men podcast and you can tune in. Excellent. And you now owe us a rating. We're going to rate Secret Life of Walter Mitty, zero to five stars. We do allow half-star increments, although Brian Fry ignores them. Pete, what are you giving our movie today? Okay, I will give my score because I'm contractually obligated to, but I'm also going to put some weight on you when it comes to your score. I want the score of this movie and the 1947 version. Okay, all right, that's fair. I I'm just genuinely curious. I gave this... okay. So I gave it a three stars out of five using your scale. So, you know, it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think it's in the good category, but it's definitely entertaining. There's definitely sequences that are fun. And again, that I would show someone say, hey, check out this arcade fire scene. It's a really interesting, well done scene. And every few years, you know, maybe every five or so years, I might get the inclination to say, hey, I'm going to watch this movie again. And when I watch it, I'll go, that was fun. I don't need to do that again every Christmas, but that was still a fun movie, and it was still a solid, solid, entertaining movie. All right. All right. Good score. Lizzie, how about you? I gave this a four. I think for what it is, 
I think they did a great job. I think that we have hit the nail on the head that I think that they really wanted this movie to feel like an escape and just a fun slice of life movie. I think for considering those factors, it's just a really fun watch. And I think this would be a movie that I would watch again. I'd recommend it. And it's just, this would be nice movie to watch on like a lazy Sunday kind of movie, you know, easy watch. And so for me, I, I got to give it a four. Okay. Any movie that can make you cry gets a four star. Is that a (laughs) cry at the end? I I don't think I mentioned that at all, but I did get a little weepy when I saw the look on his face when he saw that the cover featured him. I just, I thought that was so sweet and like the, I, I just the idea because Sean was saying that the picture in and of itself was going to be its own ghost cat. And so I was like, oh, gosh, we're never going to be able to see it. And I didn't actually ever really speculate what it was going to be, but I didn't imagine that it would be Walter. So I thought that that was such a sweet moment. So, yeah, I got four stars. I, I sadly saw that coming, but I thought it would be a picture of Walter and Cheryl. But... But yeah, it was just Walter exposing negatives to sunlight, which he shouldn't be doing. <laughs> uh, as for my rating, I this movie is really brave. It's trying new things, and I think that's really cool. But unfortunately, the rest of it I don't think was done very well. It needed more satire, I think, is what it was going with. I initially came in at one and a half stars. I think talk. I think talking about it, I'm up at a two. I think there's things I appreciate more about this movie. That's not a yikes. (laughs) That's not Valentine's Day territory. That is a that. So two stars. Pete, to your point, what I the original I have at three and a half. I think it's wow. I think it's funny. It's entertaining. It's more consistent in tone while still being sweet. And so it, it's more of a 40 slapstick. So I, I can see what Stiller was going for. And it makes me sad that it just never quite gets there for all the beauty that they have. They just, they, they didn't have enough cohesion in their storytelling for me. Hmm. So uh, speaking of 40s though, Lizzie, do you want to help me make a movie selection for next time? Yeah, let's do it. From new retro to old school, we are not asking about who is on first. We're asking about Abbott and Costello movies. So option number one from 1942, Who Done It? Two dumb soda jerks dream of writing radio mysteries. When they try to pitch an idea at a radio station, they end up in the middle of a real murder after the station owner is killed during a broadcast. Option two, The Time of Their Lives from 1946. The psychiatrist stays in a mansion haunted by prankish ghosts from the Revolutionary War. Or option three, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein from 1948. The wolfman tries to warn a dim-witted porter that Dracula wants his brain for Frankenstein's monster's body. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We have never done an Abbott and Costello. All right. Well, you know what? I've got to go with the one that sounds the strangest. So we're going to go with option three, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Let's do that one. It is a wild ride. I'm I'm anxious to return to this. I, I'm excited. I don't think Russell's seen it. He's on the episode with me. So the, this will be a good time. 
Pete, I want to thank you again. Please check out Pete's podcast. Uh, you know, it's been such an enjoyable time talking about this movie. Thank you for giving us our first 2013 movie. It was a complete pleasure. Thank you for having me. I had a blast, and you guys are incredible hosts, and uh, it, it was it was all a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Excellent. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us because we want to hear from you. Please subscribe, rate, review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. These really help us out. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's audio only. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And remember, producing and providing this podcast is fun for us, but it is not free. There's servers to pay. There's space to pay. We invite you to support us through Patreon, patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. Any contribution is really appreciated and helps go go toward making the show better for you, the listeners. So as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Lizzie? Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs>